Hello, insiders, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash, along with Inside Track co-host... Eb Wilkinson. I'm here live I'm... in the modern KVOI broadcast complex here in Tucson, Arizona, and Eb is joining us while he is on special assignment in Kentucky. Um, Eb, hey, thanks for... Yeah, thanks for joining us uh, in a special spooky Halloween edition of Inside Track. We hope you'll hang out with us for another great show. In just a few minutes, PO, P, uh, Pima GOP Chair Shelley Kais joins us from Phoenix, where she's attending a Republican meeting up there. After we speak with Shelley, Dr. Mary Graber joins us to talk about her new book, Debunking the 1619 Project. Without further ado, let's bring Pima GOP Chair Shelley Kais. She's taking a break from her meeting in Phoenix to chat with us for a few minutes. Greetings, Shelley. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Doing well. Hey, first a big shout out to you for maybe the best attended Pima GOP Lincoln dinner in the last 25 or 30 years. Tell us about how you and your great team put together this dinner and on what the keynote speaker Steve Bannon had to say. I understand he really fired up the crowd there. Yes, he did. Well, it was an amazing team. I owe this all to... Uh, to Bill Maynard and to Anna Clark, who headed up the Lincoln Day dinner team. And we had a beautiful event at the El Conquistador with amazing speakers. We had uh, Kelly Ward. We have uh, had Sheriff Mark Daniels. We had Pres- Senate President Karen Fan. We had Representative Andy Biggs. And then Steve Bannon came in and brought it home for all of us when he talked about Lincoln and Arizona. And he put it put the two together in this amazing history lesson about how Lincoln needed the silver that was in Arizona to pay for the war and how important we were and how we were, as we were back then, pivotal for the future of America we are today. It was an exhilarating, sold-out evening of 500 people. Well, I'm sorry I couldn't be there. Well, it was it was quite fun, and we gave our awards to our precinct committeemen. We changed things around a little bit. Uh, we gave our awards at the beginning this year, and uh, we just we just had a great night. And now I'm in Phoenix at an event called Engage to Win, put on by the Arizona Republican Party, and uh, I am in a big conference room, and we are doubling down, and we are learning about messaging. And uh, this is the year of the Republican Party in Arizona for sure. Nice. Bruce. Hey, Shelley, um, I understand that you met with Boris Epstein yesterday on election integrity. Uh, how much can you tell us about that conversation? Well, I can tell you that when you meet with Boris Epstein, he takes all the oxygen out of the room and it's he does. moving. <laughs> it yeah. is very fast moving, yeah. and uh, it was it was just a pleasure to meet with him and and talk about elections and the importance of elections and and uh, to to discuss whether or not Pima County may have played a role in any of the election issues that we've seen in Maricopa County, and it was uh, it was a great uh, great opportunity for us to sit down and chat. So I think uh, Boris is uh, continuing with the America First group uh, uh, that uh, President Trump has set up. Is that more or less accurate? Yes, 
Yes, I think he is still with the America First group. And, and um, you know, as many of your listeners may already know, uh, Boris was an advisor to President Trump. And um, he's, um, he's, he's just a, a real quick thinker, a sharp thinker. And uh, he, he has, he's one of those people that has the ability to drill down real quick to what the root cause of the issue is. Yeah. Uh, he uh, texted me, I guess, after your meeting yesterday, and he's been on the show in the past, and we're hoping, hoping to get him back on soon. So um, changing topics just a little bit, uh, the first draft of the new legislative maps has just been released by the Redistricting Commission. Any thoughts? Have you had a chance to take a look at those at all? I have taken a look at them. Um, I, I'm feeling very hopeful that we can get these maps through because uh, for the first time in 10 years, Arizona's, uh, the Pima County's going to have some representation in Phoenix. And I think that is really important. Our business leaders, our constituents in Pima County, we have to reach out to our Republican legislators and all the other uh, counties to try and get anything done because we have had no representation for 10 years. Uh, we do have, and, and when I say that, we, we have Mark Sincham, who is the only representative that lives in Pima County. And then we have a little piece of LD14. Right. Excuse me, but the representatives for LD14 are actually live in Cochise and I, I believe Safford. Yeah. Um, and then we have the LD11 representatives, other than um, Mr. Fincham, live up in Pinal County. Yeah, so uh, this is the first go-around, um, and, and I guess at least in this first draft, um, there's not a big win for the Republican Party. There's not a big win for the Democratic Party. Um, the goal was just to have a fair redistricting process and not to get over on anybody but to follow the law and uh so far uh that appears to be the case uh chairwoman newberg um has so far lived up to her expectations and i'm hoping to have david meal on the show perhaps a little later david's a little bit circumspect about uh talking publicly about this but uh um, you know, I, I think it's an interesting uh, development. Uh, changing topics, uh, before I turn you back over to uh, uh, to Ab, what are your thoughts on some of the new great candidates that are coming forward to run in 2022, and how do you think the Power of Fives group that Bob Branch and our own Christy Simone might impact 2022 and beyond, Shelley? Well, the most exciting thing I've seen, we have got a cast of candidates uh, the Republican team has a cast of candidates for 2022 from the U.S. Senate right down to our legislative district seats. And, I mean, any any one of our candidates for the U.S. Senate is better than anything the Democrats have, have put forward. It's better than what they have uh, that is supposedly representing us right now. Uh, so, I mean, our gu- gubernatorial candidates all the way, awesome awesome candidates and i believe what the power of fives has done is is so important because one of the things that they're doing is they are promoting candidates who run clean elections and when we have candidates that run clean elections it's it's a a hustle for them 
because they've got to get out there and get those $5 donations. But what we're able to do is we're able to get our candidates out there with a, a little bit of money to get their message out and to, uh, and to promote our values and our, our, our principles. And so, uh, you know, hats off to uh, the Power of Five with Dr. Branch and also our very own Chris Simone for the excellent job they've been doing and getting us candidates. I mean, they've interviewed people, they've vetted people, so they're, they're making the job so much easier and giving us that confidence that we need and the candidates that they've put forth. So before I turn you over to Ab, uh, how is voter registration going for Republicans here in Pima County and also recruitment of PCs? Where are we at right now? Recruitment of PCs, we, uh, when I took this job on December 17th, we had 347 PCs. Um, we now have over 700. Uh, we are doing an excellent job. I met, uh, I had pizza the other night with four P, four interested PCs, a husband and wife and their six children. And I want to tell you, those six children sat so well behaved. I, I was so They're impressed. They're Republican kids. What do you want? Well, I do. Wait, knew. they weren't out protesting and firebombing? No, no, they sat so well behaved. I was, it was just it was such a pleasure to be with them. And then two other people, uh, young mothers who, who said, you know what, we've had enough. And at the end of the evening, we had them all signed up for e-tracks, and three of the four signed up to be PCs, and one of them just needed a little bit more time to look into it. Um, I'm sure she will sign up as well. So PC uh, recruitment and uh, assessment and selection is going great. A uh, little bit of rumor out there about me holding back on PC applications. I haven't held back on any but one, and that legislative district voted not to bring that person into their legislative district. So putting that aside, we're excellent in that area. In addition to that, in voter registration, what we're starting to see is we're taking some of those independents and we're going and sharing our message with them and giving them the opportunity to come back. Many of them left the Republican Party because they were so angry and frustrated after the election. And now they're, you know, all you got to do is, well, how's this working out for you? Right on. And when you ask that question, everybody really seems to get it. Ab, take Great. us home. She- take Shelley. Us home yeah, Shelley, two couple of things. Number one, before we let you get back to your meetings, tell me there are no unfilled seats in this next 2022. See, I can't say anything yet because, see, I don't know what the legislative districts are going to be. But we okay, will that's have fair. no one feel we, – we will get candidates in every seat in okay. 2022. And I will also make the prediction, although it will not be – I will not be chairman at this time. My chairmanship runs up in, in December of 2022. But beginning once we get um, – a little bit, well, once we, we get past the November 8th election in 2022, I will begin looking for city candidates to run in the wards in the 2023 election. We will not Perfect. leave, we will not leave seats un, unfilled. And, and we're going right down to fire dis, district school boards. And in addition to that, we have poll worker, poll observers. We have people in the tabulation rooms right now today. We have filled every Republican opportunity to work on the city election. So, Great. By the time Shelley, we're, we're, right, we're running up against the clock. Uh, 
uh, how can people uh, send money your way from the Pima GOP? Well, just go to PimaGOP.org. PimaGOP.org. All Great. right. Bruce. Hey, thanks, Shelley. This portion of Inside Track has been brought to you by Eb Wilkinson from Imus Wilkinson Investment Management, whose baby steps approach to your wealth management is designed so you never have to solely depend upon Socialist Security. Call Eb at 777-1911 and help <laughs> and let him help uh, you also. Eb is the real deal. When Eb makes a promise to advise you, he means it. And he always goes above and beyond the call of duty. Thanks very much for joining us, Shelley. Mr. Producer, let's go to our first break. Stay tuned. When we return, we'll be speaking with Dr. Mary Graybar about her important new book, Debunking the 1619 Project. Stay tuned. Jamie Kipper and her father, Gary Kipper, from Tucson Iron and Metal. What are they going to see when they come through the gates? So when they come on in, they'll see our building up front. People have free reign to then go out and look in the yard. So it's not a typical scrapyard with a ton of big machinery. We have a couple of forklifts around, but that's about it just to help move material. So when you come in, it's all organized by material, whether it's square tubing, angle iron, roofing. And then there is a pile in the back, which is still organized and easy to get through. But that's stuff that comes over from the scrap. So we're unique in that we get stuff in from the scrap, which a lot of artists and people will like or reuse, whether it's a sink that someone needs for their house. We sell literally anything made of metal. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. I'm Eb Wilkinson with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. I don't ever want you to be dependent on government ever again. I want you to become financially independent. You will never, ever have to depend on socialist security for your survival. We are here to guide you to financial independence. That's imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Portion of today's program brought to you by Eric Rudin and his professional team at Essential Pest. Now's the time to have your home or business protected from bugs and critters. Also call Essential for pre-emergent treatment for your yard to prevent those big leafy green weeds this winter. Call the Essential Pros at 886-3029 so they can safely help you. Inside Track also brought to you by our friends Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. They have some of the best steel materials in stock ever to help you with your next project. Call Jamie and her steel pro Craig Beach at 209-1576. If you have an upcoming project, go by the yard at 701 East 36 and look for yourself. Tucson Iron Surplus is not a scary scrap yard like the big ones across the street. You'll be amazed at the amazing products they sell that you'll never find at the big box stores. These are two great locally owned, family-run businesses you can depend on. 
Bruce and I do, so should you. On to our special guest this afternoon, Dr. Mary Graber. Our guest is a conservative commentator, a resident fellow of the Alexander Hamilton Institute of the Study of Western Civilization located in Clinton, New York. Dr. Graber earned her Ph.D. in 2002 at the University of Georgia and has taught at Emory University. Our guest contributes to many of the places conservatives read, such as Epoch Times, American Greatness, The Federalist, as well as more scholarly journals. Mary wrote an earlier book titled Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History that Turned a Generation Against America. Mary Graber's newest book, just recently published by Regentry, uh, Debunking the 1619 Project, is extraordinarily timely right now, not just as a part of Virginia's gubernatorial election, but debunking the 1619 Project and critical race theory has millions of Americans, especially parents of the next generation, demanding an end to the teaching of the 1619 Project and CRT in schools today. Welcome, Mary, and thanks for joining us this afternoon. Bruce and I can uh, thank okay. you on behalf of so many parents who are tired of their Johnny and Susie's coming home from school, calling them racist. This 60 Night Project might be the big story now, but would you say that the project and the CRT might have been going on for years, as you've pointed out in your book about the American heretic Howard Zinn? Um, yeah, yeah, of course, this has been going on for a long, long time, for decades, and Howard Zinn's book came out in 1980, so we've had a couple generations, actually, who have been poisoned by his view of America, and, um, you know, what What the 1619 Project does is what I found uh, was what textbooks were doing. They were painting with broad brush strokes, um, you know, referring to white people, uh, you know, white people as a, an entire group who were oppressing and uh, terrorizing Indians and um, blacks and other groups. And, uh, you know, the 1619 Project, you know, just takes it to the hilt. And, um, you know, parents should be opposed to it and they should be up in arms because it just presents an entire race of people as evil oppressors. So... Matthew Desmond is a liberty denier and part of the 1619 Project team and wrote, in order to understand the brutality of American capitalism, you have to start on the plantation for five grade levels beginning in the second grade. Why has the left embraced this project and critical race theory, and how do schools get away with exposing children to anti-American Marxist rhetoric starting in the second grade and get away with this? Yeah, well, that's a very interesting story because um, the 1619 Project, as soon as it hit the newsstands in August of 2019, uh, was shipping uh, prepackaged lesson plans, discussion questions, and quizlets to 3,500 schools with no vetting. Uh, it didn't go through the normal process of textbook writing and textbook adoption where you have committees of educators and you have school boards, and you have parent committees. This was just slipped into the schools, and um, it's outrageous that it was done, um, especially since the history in it is just so abjectly 
false. And, um, you know, it's hard for an adult to take that sentence that you just read. But just imagine a second grader being confronted with this. I mean, it to me, it's child abuse. It's psychological abuse. No child in you know, in second grade, seven years old, who can barely read, should be exposed to this kind of pernicious propaganda. Mary, first of all, how were they able to get into the schools, and how did nobody call them on it? Well, yeah, so, it, you know, I mean, this is, you know, sort of the shock and awe strategy. Um, the New York Times had uh, long planned this out, they did this in collaboration with the Pulitzer Center, which has nothing to do with the Pulitzer Prize. Um, but is it, it is a nonprofit um, sort of journalism center, and it's funded by the Pierre Omidyar Network. It's also funded by um, Mark Zuckerberg's foundation, and so there was a lot of planning. Uh, you can be sure that went into producing these materials and then just um, having them in the schools. And, you know, teachers, you know, often don't turn down free things, and they want to get students emotionally engaged, uh, engaged in any way. And um, that's what the 1619 Project does. It does get students stirred up emotionally, but in a very destructive way, um, and, you know, and it inspires this animus towards people of the other race. So you've got kids looking at each other uh, as either oppressors or oppressed. Um, so, yeah, there's there, you know, I, I mean, I question even the legality of this. You have a profit, a for-profit company, the New York Times, collaborating with a nonprofit group. Um, that's sending materials out to um, public schools that are uh, supported by taxpayers and, and parents. So the school boards were absolutely complicit in this whole thing. I, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, what I'm saying is that, um, you know, they normally when a new textbook is adopted, right? You get a new textbook every so many years. Um, you know, a state will adopt new textbooks, and then it'll go before a school board. And it's a years-long process, generally. And you generally have people, if you're writing history, you know, who are historians in their field, and they'll write one chapter or part of a textbook. You know, say someone who's a specialist in the Civil War will write on that. You know, someone else who's, you know, uh, expert on World War II will write on that. And it's, you know, supposedly peer-reviewed, it's uh, read uh, to make sure it's inclusive, that, you know, it's age-appropriate, you know, that um, the reading level is, you know, correct, that there aren't adult concepts, um, you know, given to second graders, you know, such as what you, that Marxist line that you read, Um but this wasn't done. This was, you know, um, you know, it, it it seemed to have no vetting process. It seemed to be this agreement between the New York Times and a nonprofit organization that is funded 
by billionaires who are political operatives. Omid Yar has been uh, contributing to the Never Trump PAC, to elect Hillary Clinton, to all these Democratic causes. And, um, he, you know, he is one of the major reasons why this quote-unquote history is being inserted into our schools. So it's completely inappropriate for a political player to be funding this material and putting it into schools. So you talked earlier about this, uh, but a June 2020 poll in the midst of the rioting showed that 58% of young respondents with college degrees believe that the rioting was fully or partially justified. And we've seen polls where significant numbers of students on campuses of American universities believe that socialism is better than free markets. What's the motivation behind the 1619 Project, and what is it that the creators are hoping to accomplish? Well, uh, you know, if you if you read all the essays, and then, of course, there are the 17 literary works commenting on a moment in history, and, you know, my, my uh, question is, what, what are literary works doing in a lesson of history? But anyway... Um, so you see that they all, you know, obviously they're um, far left, um, socialist in nature. Uh, they all aim at denouncing our constitutional form of government and our economic system and all point towards socialism. And the creator of the 1619 Project, Nicole Hannah-Jones, uh, you know, this was her brainchild, uh, you know, has uh, expressed her admiration for Fidel Castro. Um, oh, God. For, yes, she has. She has, you know, publicly come out and said that. She tweets about universal health care or socialized medicine. She takes the positions of the squad, you know, uh, anything that AOC and her little, uh, you know, group of comrades um what they say, uh, you know, Nicole Hannah-Jones basically agrees with. So she's a far-left activist who has written a new narrative or a new origin story, whatever she calls it, of American history per her, um, you know, jaundiced view, and but it's being taught as factual history to kids, um, you know, from K through 12. Wow. Bruce. Hey, Dr. Graybar, we're up against uh, the bottom of the hour break. Eb and I do believe in free markets. We, we may not be the only <laughs> ones, but we do believe in free markets. And since we don't get any free lunches from the radio station, we need to pay some bills. So hang on. When we okay. return, let's go into greater depth about your book, Debunking the 1619 Project. You're listening to Inside Track. We'll be right back. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers, just like all of the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. 
Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street. Call 520-209-1576 or go to TucsonIronRetail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time, with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson. I am USWilkinson.com, 777-1911, 777-1911. Welcome back to Inside Track on a spooky Halloween edition on a day when we're talking about an even more horrifying thing, the 1619 Project. We'll get back to our special guest, Dr. Mary Graybar, in just a moment. But first, now is a perfect time to call Corazon Cabinets to get a jump on your next home improvement project. We just got our new kitchen and bath cabinets, and they're stunning. The install team did a fabulous job, and our home looks awesome. At Corazon, Joy and Allie have their 6,000-square-foot warehouse stacked to the rafters with beautiful cabinets ready now for your next home improvement project. Call Monday and speak to the Corazon design professionals at 488-2266. And we're running out of time to get you scheduled for your holiday uh, renovation projects. Friends, Dr. Mary Graybar is our guest. If anyone has a question or comment for her, please call in to the Imus Wilkinson Live Line at 790-2040, and uh, we'll be happy to take your call. So, Dr. Graybar, I read an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal this morning written by a University of Chicago geophysicist, uh, Dorian Abbott, whose views on equality made him persona non grata at MIT after he gave a talk to students there. And and his op-ed started like this. I believe that every human should be treated as an individual worthy of dignity and respect. In an academic context, that means evaluating people for positions based upon their individual qualities, not on membership favored or disfavored groups. It also means allowing them to present their ideas and perspectives freely, even when we disagree with them. Uh, it seems to me, uh, doctor, that what America lacks today is willingness and, accept- and acceptance to have a rational conversation about the validity of the 1619 Project, critical race theory, climate or COVID hysteria without being canceled or referred to as a racist or a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal. It really seems to me that the left doesn't appear to be willing to have a reasonable discussion about our nation's history, 
they've raced to indoctrinate young children, they've silenced or, or they cancel many of our leading historians, whether they're dead or alive, what is their end game? Well, uh, their end game is, I think some of them don't really know. Um, I think that the, the creator of the 1619 Project is someone who doesn't really understand history at all or doesn't understand the implications of the socialist scheme that she is promoting. Um, they are vaguely socialist. Uh, they have no understanding of history, or if they do, um, have no empathy for the fact that over 100 million people were killed by communist regimes, by their own communist regimes in the 20th century, and that's a conservative number. Um, or they maybe find, they don't care. They don't care, yeah. I mean, just, you know, try, try to tell a leftist um, about suffering under communism and uh, you know they'll blame the the victim they'll say well you you know uh that that person should have um you know been more obedient or you know to the regime oh my god yeah they that's no better than blaming the rape victim because her skirt was too short yeah, yeah, no. I mean, you know, the, I mean, if, if you if you read, um, you know, the commentary of uh, some of these, uh, you know, communist sympathizers throughout American history, you know, going back into the 1930s, um, you'll see that they really are just really sociopathic in their attitudes towards people um, who are outside of their own ideological groups. So, you know, if, if children starve to death, well, they really don't care. And so there, there is this heartlessness, um, I think, among the leftists that promote this. They, they see conservatives or critics of what they're saying and people who are warning uh, them of of you know what might come to pass as unpersons you you just are not a person unless you agree with them and um you know you go on twitter and you try to um you know comment uh, you know on one of their feeds and you just i mean they just lash out and uh so i think the end game is uh, you know the transformation of america um and some of the players are very knowledgeable. They know exactly what they're doing. Some of them are very ignorant and are maybe acting out of their own um, demons. But, you know, whatever the motivations, it is uh, going down a very, very dangerous path. And it's harming our children and turning them to socialism as surveys um, show and as you uh, quoted, because you know, young people have been given no other perspective. You know, some days it seems like we're headed in the direction of the 20s and 30s Germany and and other places in in Northern Europe where book burnings were were evident and 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 you know ideologies were being forced on others. Um, and it feels to me that the 1619 project and this rigidity to reject um, a scholarly history that's been written over the past 200 years about our country um, it just it 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 seems as though Mary that 
you know, we're, we're just, we're headed in a very bad direction. Was, was this your impetus to write, uh, debunking the 1619 project or what was your impetus? What, it, it takes some effort to do what you're doing in writing a book, any book. And, and you've got a great publisher representing you. Uh, what was the thing that, that made you write the book? Well, I, I, you know, the same thing that, uh, you know, impelled me to write the book on Howard Zinn. I mean, just seeing these lies, these outright slanderous lies, and then especially to know that, you know, as, as someone who taught college for 20 years and, you know, was a teacher, to know that this was being put into the classrooms, you know, I felt I had to say something to provide a comprehensive rebuttal. Um, I've been involved in, uh, you know, fighting Common Core 10 years ago. I uh, saw how citizens and parents were treated um, by, uh, you know, educrats, you know, with the degrees, but without any real knowledge or wisdom. And I felt that parents especially needed a tool a resource where they could go and they could provide counter arguments uh, to people who are promoting the 1619 project. And, uh, you know, I hate the thought of this country going down the path of revolution. And we saw that in the summer of 2020 when there was this, uh, you know, with, with the riots and just this visceral hatred towards any symbol of American history. I mean, you know, it was like this mass hysteria that was taking place across the country, as you recall. Now, the creator of the 1619 Project uh, took great pride in the fact that her history inspired that. Um, and she said that publicly. It's on the record. And um, and so the danger of this kind of history is not just that it's wrong history or it's factually wrong. It it inspires this kind of mob hysteria where, uh, you know, statues are coming down, buildings are being burned, people are being killed. But imagine this, the creator, Nicole Hannah-Jones, said she was proud of having done this tearing down we have caller mike on the line he has a question or a comment for you mike go ahead you're on the phone with dr mary graybar oh hi yeah uh, i was just uh sympathize i i like what you're saying and uh about the you really just can't have a rational discussion my my trying just to have a very mild <laughs> discussion with people um of the left that i know but i i was wondering <laughs> if you could if, even the mildest discussion, it, it, it just that they raise the temperature so high that that you just you know it's impossible. But um, I, I was wondering if you could just uh, give us a little bit of your opinion on uh, Howard Zinn. I found that really interesting. And thanks, thanks for your what work. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. yeah well, well, thanks. Yeah. Um, you, you know, um, I. Had, I knew about Howard Zinn. I didn't really know about him too much until around 2008, and I started writing articles about him, and then he died a couple years later, and then I was asked to write a report by Cliff Kincaid. You didn't get blamed for that, did you, for his death? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, my article did not uh, okay, good. Did not kill him. <laughs> it had nothing to do with it. Uh, he, he was, I don't know, 
87 or something like that. Um, but, oh, COVID. You know, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, pre-COVID. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but Howard, you know, I, I knew he hated America and that he was very biased. And, um, you know, I went through, you know, people's history of the United States, his magnum opus. And, you know, it's just a, it's just a, a nasty nasty book and um it makes you you want to throw it down um but what i discovered as i was going through it and checking his sources and checking against um you know what other historians were saying was that he deliberately lied it's not just biased he left out key parts of quotations with ellipses um that would uh then give you the impression that the source said the opposite of what Zinn said it mm. that it said uh he would leave off the ends of sentences um in the Pentagon papers when he was quoting from them a work that he had edited himself you know of course he also hid them um you know he um he twisted around words um, from a, a book uh, by Douglas Pike on the Viet Cong. Douglas Pike was a, an American Foreign Service officer in Vietnam, and he uh, accused the Viet Cong of genocide. And he wa- he wanted and begged the Americans to, you know, send military help, and then twisted it around and said that Pike was praising the Viet Cong. I mean, it's just criminal what he did. I mean, to you know, in terms of history. So he was a very very evil um evil kind of genius who was able to use words to convince people that what he was saying was true and this is mostly of course to people who are young and others who may not have knowledge of history. So, um, and, and he was all, and his motivation came from the fact that he was a communist, um, member of the Communist Party for several years in the late 40s and early 50s, and then was certainly a communist sympathizer for his entire life. So, how did he get there? He was born uh, to a, a Jewish immigrant family. He, he was a bombardier in World War II, and yet, uh, he hates America, and he was a self-proclaimed socialist. Yeah, and he got quite wealthy by with his writings. As um, a socialist. Yeah, and, and you find that to be common among, um, you, you know, these communist activists. I mean, just look at um, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, Patrice Cullors, <laughs> I think her name is, and right. she has the four homes, right, multi-million dollar homes. Um you know, they, these people are hypocrites, extraordinaire. They really have no uh, concern for the real working class or the average person, um, even as they claim to write a bottom-up history of workers and the oppressed, as Howard Zinn did. So they are liars and hypocrites, extraordinaire. So Eb and I are chatting with Dr. Mary Graybar about her new book, Debunking the 1619 Project. Mary wrote the following. The real problem with the 1619 Project is not that it is in conflict with our cherished mythologies. 
It is that, as this book will lay out in detail, the project is in conflict with the historical facts and actual truth about America, which, yes, we do cherish. If we have any gratitude for our lives of unexampled freedom and prosperity and any hope to see these blessings continue in the future. Um, when somebody deliberately lies, such as Howard Zinn and many others uh, who've done the same sort of thing, doesn't that really take away from the legitimacy of their argument and, and the legitimacy of the whole movement in general? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that's why I wrote the book. I, I wrote the book to... Um, attack it, not just, you know, for the fact that it's hateful towards America and Americans, but that it is factually incorrect. And so, uh, you know, I, I testified before a committee uh, in Michigan, um, you know, where they were discussing uh, a proposed law that would forbid the teaching of critical race theory in the 1619 Project. And what I say and what I ho hope other people will say is that the 1619 Project has no place in schools because it's factually false. It presents slavery as a kind of an American invention. It, you know, it says that slavery ex existed here and it was like, unlike anything that had ever existed in the world before. Slavery you know, is a worldwide institution. It goes back and far, as far in history as we can go. It's been practiced by every religion, by every group of people on every continent. In 1776, it was being practiced across the globe, except it, right in Western Europe. Um, you know, it. It, the project also says that the uh, slaves were kidnapped in Africa um, and that they were free before they came here. It says nothing about the African chiefs um, who were the ones who kidnapped them, marched them to the coastline, um, sold them to the middlemen, other Africans or Muslims, who then sold them to Europeans. Um, it lies about Jefferson, says that he never wanted to abolish slavery. That is factually wrong. Uh, he did. He wanted to abolish it gradually and peacefully. Um, you know, facts such as also um, that he never freed any of his slaves. Well, that's wrong. He did free some of them, and you can Google and 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 find you know the manumission uh, document online. So there, just example after example um, of you know factual misstatements and misrepresentations uh, that are now being taught as fact in classrooms and. Um, you know, for that reason, you know, it should not be allowed in classrooms. We would not use any kind of history that, you know, say would glorify slavery and, you know, uh, say there, you know, people weren't abused. And by the same token, we shouldn't use the 1619 Project. Dr. Graybar, well, no, I have some questions students, to follow yeah, up on that. Yeah, I do. Uh, students need to learn about slavery, but they need to learn about it in its historical context as a global 
transracial, transhistorical phenomenon. I mean, it continued to exist in other parts of the world after close to three-quarters of a million men died in the Civil War to end it here. And, and mm-hmm. that's what inspired slaveholding nations in Cuba and Brazil to end it. And it wasn't until after World War I that most Muslim states abolished slavery. I mean, Yemen and Saudi Arabia didn't abolish it until 1962. Uh, Marantria didn't do so until 1980. China right now has over a million Muslim Uyghurs and other minority groups, uh, in forced labor camps that, you know, companies like Nike are taking advantage of. And you're right, slavery has existed for thousands of years. It still hasn't ended right now. Uh, the 1619 Project, it's racist in its own origins and, and its own uh, thoughts and works because it's white men who fought for the rights of the slaves here to uh, in our declaration to, to free them. Um, so with all that going on, uh, why are they silent about What's happening right now? Well, um, you know, if students want to get worked up about something, you know, they should be uh, looking at what China's doing, the Uyghurs, and uh, slavery in the Sudan uh, and um, other parts of Africa. Um, you know, it it profits the big corporations who often back projects like this. So Facebook is promoting uh, the 1619 project. Um, these big corporations who make money off of the slave labor, Nike, um, Apple, uh, they are making the money. So it profits them to get, you know, young Americans worked up over slavery that happened, uh, you know, 200 years ago instead of looking at, you know, what's going on now and, um, and to make them, uh, make those connections to, you know, uh, racial disparities today. And of course, there's always going to be disparities, but it's a way to divert attention from the real injustices that are going on today that, uh, y- you know, the, the mega corporations, the international corporations are profiting from. Well, listen, Mary, we've got about three minutes left. I'm going to turn this back over to Bruce. So, uh, Mary, this has been a great, a great interview, and I appreciate it. Um, it, it seems to me that anti-American Marxism is especially a big deal with leaders in the pop culture, Hollywood actors, sports heroes. But American capitalists, leaders in business, have also been co-opted by the left and this 1619 project. Um, I get how actors and people in sport might uh, use this uh, to emphasize their celebrity, but why would American business succumb to this sort of thinking when ultimately it could lead to the to the crush and destruction of the free market system, uh, which now suggests, like Lenin and the others, that we're all slaves to industry. Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, corporations probably make a cost analysis and they figure, well, it, you know, they, and they can pass on the cost to consumers and, um, you know, they figure they will spend a certain amount on public relations and employee uh, indoctrination, which they call employee training. 
and uh, gain peace. So it's almost like, uh, you know, the old, um, you know, the, the, you know, the, the mafia or any other organization that would come around and demand, you know, that businesses pay up. That's extortion. You know, extortion. Thank you. I was looking for that word. <laughs> um, yeah, it's extortion. And, you know, what we had, I think, in uh, the summer of 2020 was a, a national extortion scheme. Right. <laughs> and they got it. And I don't know if these business leaders are short-sighted or yes. they... Or, <laughs> yes, they or, are. <laughs> yeah, and they don't care um, because they feel, you know, that they're uh, that they have more to profit from internationally, so they don't really care about the United States. Well, let me just before we end, I, I think our, our listeners will appreciate what Hillsdale College President Larry Arn said about your book. The sixteen nineteen project is criticized rightly for distor- for distorting history to assert an ideological agenda. It claims that slavery, not freedom, defines American history. By examining the history of slavery in America, Mary Graybar illustrates the tragedy of slavery against the opposition it encountered from the principles and ideals that inspire the nation. Americans, both black and white, have revered these principles from colonial times to now. Debunking the 1619 Project is a fine and learned book, and you should read it. I agree, and thank you so much Absolutely. For, for coming on the show. Keep up the good work. Insiders, that's all the time we have for today's show. Eb and I hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Mary Graybar and Shelley Kice. I'm off to Israel for the next two weekends, so Eb will be running things. And if we can figure out how to do it, we'll do our best to bring some news from our Israel mission brought back home. Until next Next week for Inside Track, this is Bruce Ash and Eb Wilkinson. Thanking you for listening today and wishing you all a very spooky Halloween. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. What other kind of customers do you have? So our Tucson? biggest customers are actually like ranchers and yeah. people from outside of the Tucson area. They're buying a lot of square tubing. They're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences. We'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is, A, we sell scrap to the mill. So uh, we have a relationship there, and then we can buy material, what they're making, bringing it back. And so we save on freight, and we have relationships for years with them. So I think that's really our niche market. We'll sell whatever you need. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. I'm Eb Wilkinson with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. I don't ever want you to be dependent on government ever again. I want you to become financially independent. You will never, ever have to depend on socialist security for your survival. We are here to guide you to financial independence. That's imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911. That's 777-1911.